Welcome to Mercy Unbound, a series that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to today's show. I'd just like you to think for a moment, what would it be like for a young pregnant mom to enter an abortion facility, to walk back past all these pro-life protesters and people praying and make it way to the procedure, a room, sitting up on the chair, uh, she meets the abortionist, have a change of heart, walks out, decides to keep the baby, gives them up for adoption, and then has a joyful reunion 19 or, year, or so years later. All those uh, questions are the topic of today's discussion with Melissa Coles. Uh, thank you so much for joining, Melissa. And, uh, thank you for having me. I know you've got a lot to share with us. Can you start out by telling us what your life was like before the pregnancy and then how you found out? Well, be before the pregnancy, I was just living your typical teenager life. I was uh, finishing up my senior year of high school and I was actually in the bathroom at the school vomiting as one of my friends held my hair back. And um, she jokingly said, I hope you're not pregnant. And I just kind of went, I have no, and blew it off. But in the back of my mind, I was in there thinking, wow, that could very well be a possibility. So I uh, went home and took a couple of pregnancy tests over the counter. And it said that I was pregnant. But before, you know, I, I before I'm telling myself, yes, you're pregnant, I still want to go to the doctor and, and hear it from a doctor that, yes, you are indeed pregnant. But um, I got really, really sick. And very sick and my dad had taken me in to the doctor because I didn't have any insurance and so this would be one of many lies that I would start out my adult life telling and um I went back to the doctor and he pushed around on my belly asked me a few questions and he said is there a possibility of pregnancy and I said yes sir and so he checked me for that and it did come back that I was pregnant so when I walked out, my dad was in the waiting room and my dad asked me what the doctor say. And I said, oh, I just got a flu bug. And they said, I just have to kind of just wait it out, drink lots of fluids and just, you know, take it easy. It'll pass. And my dad just goes, oh, and that's all that was said. And that was the first of many lies, unfortunately. What was going through your head over the next week or two weeks or, you know, uh, how are you, you going to pull this off? What? I was in shock and I really didn't know, I was scared. I, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And um, back at the time, I'm 47, so I was 18. So back then, the only people that had internet were if you worked in an office, you had internet, but nobody had cell phones, nobody had anything at their fingertips. And it was either you parented a child or you got an abortion before it becomes a baby, knowing obviously now, of course, it's a baby at moment of conception. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it was a very, very bumpy road. Yeah, stressful, difficult time. At some point you decided, I don't, you never told your parents then, did you really? I didn't tell, David was a secret for 19 years. The only person I ever told that I was pregnant at all, other than the birth father, 
was my husband, Sean, who I've been married to going on 15 years. And on date one, I had told him my story about David. And I told him pretty much everything about me that night because I didn't want there to be any skeletons in my closet. And he said, you've been carrying this for years. And he said, he always told me since date one, Sean did, he said, God's got bigger plans for you. He goes, I don't know what it is, but he's got bigger plans for you. And I always blew it off like, eh, you know, but um, I've seen, I've seen God's work in this. And it, it took me, it took me a few years to see God's work in it. And I was angry and, and bitter for a long time. You know, it's amazing. We do carry things and, uh, and yet the God of mercy is always there to take those burdens from us and we don't want to give them up. But so at some point you decided to have an abortion. Uh, you go to the clinic, you walk past these pro-lifers, you walk into the clinic. What, what happened? Tell, share with us that, that day. Well, the, the day that we decided to drive up to Indianapolis to get an abortion. It was, I think, $230 or so. And the birth father had just received a gift for graduation, which was at the time considered a boombox radio. And that was about how much we got for his radio once we returned it. And that's how we got the money to get the abortion. So we got in the car and we drove down to Indianapolis. And as we pulled up, there was all these people outside. And I really didn't understand any of it at all at the time. I was so young, very naive, and I just, I didn't know anything about it. We pull up, and as soon as we pulled, the car pulls up, the people from inside the abortion clinic comes running out. Well, they, they rush out to protect you whenever you arrive. And they put a blanket over my head and they put a radio here and a radio here to try to, to drown out all the sounds of the protesters. But there, there was some that were screaming, some that were simply praying and some that just handed out little packets of information. But I didn't understand all that at the time. But as I was going in through all the ruckus, my heart racing, anxiety, fear, this one protester stood out. And she screamed above everything, above the radios, above all the other protesters. And she said, your baby's got 10 fingers and 10 toes and you're about to kill it. And that really, it, it did something to me that's really hard to explain as I was walking in. And I just, I could not get that 10 fingers, 10 toes out of my head. So I go in to the clinic and the birth father is waiting outside. They get me back very quickly. They had me sign one piece of paper. I think it was one piece. And when you flip it over, maybe like this much of another piece, they don't give you any information. It's a quick check, 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 sign your name, done, quick and over with. And they take your money right away, of course, because that's the motiv motivating factor in all this. So I hand in the clipboard and the money. They rush me back to this room. And the stuff that I saw on the way back to the room should have been enough to scare me right there to leave. But it didn't. But what so do you I, mean? What, what kind of things were on the wall? Um, it wasn't what was on the wall. There's nothing on the walls. But some of the girls that I saw, they just, they look really sad. 
and beaten depressed and just um it's very it's just very sad it's evil Dark. yes so i continue on back and they give me a blue pill i still don't know what the blue pill is to this day um i can kind of guess now but they give me a blue pill give me a gown and leave me in this room and i call it the silver room and the reason i call it that is whenever you walk in the only thing that they have is everything's white and the table you lay on is silver the cart with all the instruments is silver the sink is silver so i just kind of call, i call it the silver room well i take the pill i got the gown on i'm laying back on the table and that 10 fingers and 10 toes is still on my mind well my head kept falling over to the right and when it does that there's a little cart there that has all the instruments and tools on it and you could see your reflection in it and this is how great our god is so as my head falls i hear this audio voice and it says get up not demanding not forceful almost as if pleading with me and i'm thinking man what kind of pill did they just give me right so I just kind of put my head back and my head falls to the right again. And it says, get up. It's not too late. I heard this plain as day. So I, I put my head back again. I'm fighting this because I hear this 10 fingers and 10 toes from that protester or what I call sidewalk counselors now. And then I hear the get up, get up. It's not too late. But then God gives me one final push. As my head falls to the right one more time, this was a very brief and very quick, but very real moment. As my head falls to the right, I saw a reflection of David as I saw him when I met him when he was 19 years old. I knew at that point I was carrying a boy. I knew that this baby was very much real. And right as I saw that, the doctor comes in, doesn't speak to me. He comes in, washes his hands, puts on his gloves, sits on this little tiny silver stool and slides over to me. And right as his hand brushes up against my left leg, I just jump up and I say, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I just, I can't. He doesn't look at me and say, well, that's great. I'm glad you had a change of heart. Or do you know about the resources that are available? nothing not one word spoken to me he rolls his eyes he's already got his money so he, he i mean he rolls his eyes turns around rips his gloves off and as he's walking out the door he pushes his, the foot on the trash can drops the gloves and walks out and leaves me alone no one came back in there nobody so i got dressed and i quickly exited the building and ran out to my car and they don't protect you when you leave they only protect you when you arrive. So as I was leaving, there were a few people shouting a few things um, like baby murderer, um, killer, just multiple things. And um, I so badly just wanted to say I didn't do it to somebody, anybody, but I was scared. So I just got into the car and we drove off. Still pregnant. Now, your, your uh, boyfriend wasn't so happy, probably, though, was he? No. 
um, on the way, I didn't, nobody spoke for a while on the way back home. And I finally said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go through with it. And the exact words that I got, I'll never forget. Great. What are you going to do now? That's leaving out all the bad words that were said. As if it's solely me. You know, it's a family unit supposed to be. So I really felt alone. You know, think about it that the child was really going to be aborted uh, for the price of a boom box. Yes, sir. And uh, so, so time goes on, obviously it doesn't stop and you're getting bigger and, and what's going through your head at this point? Well, God has never given up on me because how many people do you know can weigh 115 to maybe 120 soaking wet, go through an entire pregnancy and not show? I didn't show. And I had people that has heard the story, of course, now, and they go, how is it possible that you carried a baby for nine months and you never showed? And the only thing that I can reference to is a biblical reference when David was hiding from Saul in the caves and the soldiers went and searched every cave except for one. And the only one they didn't search was the one that had the cobwebs on it. And the soldiers didn't go in because they said, well, there's, there's cobwebs. And of course, this isn't the words they use, but you know, there's cobwebs here. There's no way any, any, anyone's in here. And so they didn't check the one cave David was in. And David had asked God previously before that, basically, what's up with these spiders? They're, they're no good to anybody. And the Lord had told him, one day you will thank me for this creature. Well, that was a day that he thanked God for that spider. And so I kind of I kind of look at it as God put cob cobwebs over everyone's eyes for me during that time to get me through what I was about to embark on. So walk me through you you getting bigger and bigger or not showing it seems but <laughs> it's getting near delivery time uh, and you decide to give the baby up for adoption. Had you met the adoptive parents before you delivered or how does that work? Well, what had happened in my, in my in my case was I had gotten a UTI infection, I believe is what it was, and so I had to go to the emergency room. While I was there, I met a lady named Rhonda, and she was a social worker. And so I I looked at her and I said, "So whatever I tell you, you can't tell anybody." She's like, "Nope, whatever you tell me is confidential." So I spilled my guts out. I mean, I felt a connection with her right away, and so I told her the situation I was in. And she said, had, had you ever considered adoption? And I said, you mean give my baby away to somebody I don't know? But how do I know that he's going to a good place? How do I know he's going to be safe? How do I know he's going to get an education? How do you know this? How do you know that? I mean, all these questions just come swirling. Normal, normal fears. Uh, yes. Because I mean, you want the best for your child, of course. And so Rhonda had got me connected with the attorneys and um, Kirsch and Kirsch PC. And once I met with them, I, between Rhonda and Kirsch and Kirsch, I was really put at ease in the situation that I was in. And they had explained to me, you're not giving your child away. You are placing him with his family, a family that's already mom and dads. They just don't have their baby yet. Cause there's so many families that want a baby so bad, they can't have children. 
So that really, that really put my mind at ease. And that's what started the adoption process and made me think, well, these people will be able to give him a life that I definitely cannot at this time. And you want him to be in a safe environment and a good environment and a healthy environment. You know, it's so true that that adoption option, as we call it, is, is real. There are many, many people, either the, the husband or the wife, they can't conceive a child and they really want a child and will love the child. And what I read in statistics, you know, uh, when you look at kids that are adopted, they do surveys and like 95% of them are happy. They're well-adjusted and they're doing well. And, and, uh, but certainly all those, um, fears and anxieties would have been normal. And, uh, so you go for the delivery, then, then, then what happens? Uh, what, do you meet the parents or the well, new parents? whenever, whenever you sign with an adoption firm, they, you get what's called dear mom letters. And I had tons and tons of letters, but they all read the same. We do this, we do this, we don't do that, we don't do that. And I wasn't looking for perfection. I wanted him to be with a family that was going to do the things with him that I wanted to do, like go fishing or go mudding or um, just outdoors activities and, and do things with him that he would have done with me. And when I got this one letter one day out of all the letters, it was on, it was in my hand. And I, it was so weird because I hadn't opened it yet, but for some reason, this letter that was in my hand, I knew that this was his family. So I am excited to get this letter. Don't know why I'm ripping this letter open. I start reading the letter and it's from Susan, which is David, my birth son. That's his mom and his dad, Jimmy. So I'm reading their story and you cannot speak to Susan, you cannot look at Susan and not have a big smile on your face. I mean, she's just, she's amazing. She's an, a, she's a wonderful mom, a wonderful wife. She's just a wonder, she's got a wonderful soul. She is just a beautiful person. Well, they had some type of illness in the family. She had lost two children. Her mom had lost four mm. and they had really, really been through this. And so I had asked her during one of our phone calls and we hadn't met in person yet. And I'd asked her during one of the phone calls, this was kind of kind of going to determine whether or not this is where he was definitely going to be. I said, how do you bait your hook? Because like you can tell if someone's been fishing or they haven't been fishing just by how, how they how they talk. And she goes, oh, well, we take it. We, we bait it straight through the eyes. And I went, congratulations, you're a mom. And she's like, silent for a minute because it took her forever to answer and this she's like why is she why in the world would she ask me such a question I know how to be going through her mind and um I said congratulations you're a mom and she was just ecstatic on the phone ecstatic and the I think one of the main things that I wanted to get through to to her is I wanted David to know that he was adopted from the get-go I didn't want him to be know 10 or 15 and, and they go oh by the way you were adopted here's your birth mom here's your birth dad I, I wanted him to always know because I wanted him to know how much he was loved and some people may say well if he was loved so much then why didn't you keep him well I loved him so much that I had to let go to the parent that couldn't let go and I really 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 understand that now because I have a daughter who is 18 
She'll be 19 in July. And um, I understand that very clearly. You know, that question about how do you bait the hook, some may say is silly, but it's actually very touching because really my translation of what you're trying to say is, are you going to love my son and do things with him and take him outdoors and be a yes. parent to him? It's not about, uh, well, we're off on vacations and he stays home alone and dad yes. never goes to a basketball game. You know, those things happen in, in regular families. The parents yes. are not involved and you're just saying, are you going to be involved in his life? And that yes. that is very touching. Well, we, we kind of have a thing. We, we both send each other fishing lures from time to time. That's kind of a little thing between us. So when I went to Pittsburgh for a speaking event fundraiser there, um, I Pittsburgh, they had a big thing of fishing lures. So I, I got those and I sent them to Susan whenever I got back. So it's kind of been an ongoing thing with us. That's sweet. So you give them up for adoption, then you don't see them for years, but perhaps stay in contact. But fast forward, what? how did this play out? Well, for the first year, I um, I could have either did it for one year or 18 years, where they give you monthly updates and pictures, maybe a letter. And I got to thinking, if I did this for 18 years, I don't feel like I would have been able to move on in my life. And I don't really feel like they would have been able to move on the way they were able because they would have constantly felt like they were obligated to me. Right. And I felt like it was kind of everybody's best interest to do a year that way. In that year's time, I would be able to see the progress, see how he's being brought up and kind of get an idea, even though I didn't know what state he lived in or anything like that. Um, it would give me an idea of the kind of life that he had. And I jokingly joke, this is the sense of the sense of humor that the Lord has. I jokingly had kind of said to him, because I had not seen the ocean yet. And I said, Lord, if I did the right thing, I said, the first picture I get, I want to see David at the ocean. And I'll be darned at the first letter I got, the very first update was a picture of David at the ocean. He'd already been somewhere I had never got to go ever in my life. He was at the ocean with his mom and dad. It was beautiful. So there was there was a special occasion though. It, it, it was just things worked out. Wasn't he kind of looking to find his natural, you know, birth mother? And it's walk me through how that 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 happened. Well, over the next 18 years or so, nothing. Um, I didn't hear anything. They didn't hear anything from me. And he was turning, getting, or getting ready to turn 18. I think it was, it was either 18 or 19. I think, I think it was 19 at that time, give or take a little bit. But um, I thought, you know, he's going to be old enough where he's going to be able, if he wants to find me, he can. And I don't want him to have to go on a long long search to try to find me see where I'm at and so I thought well I'll call Kirsch and Kirsch and update my records so that's what I did well there was a little bit of miscommunication because I wasn't really asking for an update per se but I was updating my information in case he looking would happen to be looking for me well Kirsch and Kirsch PC had reached out to Susan and Jimmy which is David's mom and dad and said, hey, Melissa just updated her information and once was interested in an update. Are you interested? And that got the ball rolling. Hmm. Well, it just so happened 
David was finally speaking openly about adoption and was giving his first speech at school for, I think it was a senior project maybe. And he was given a speech. Well, Ben Clapper, which is the producer of I Lived on Park Avenue was in the audience listening to David. And he went up to David after his speech, after the event and said, hey, if you're thinking about searching out your birth parents, maybe we ought to film it. Hmm. I wasn't comfortable with that. So it, it took me a little while to get on board because people were gonna see me at my most vulnerable, my weakest, and they're gonna be judging me. They're gonna be saying, what kind of woman would do this? And then there'd be the other people saying, well, it was very brave what she did. So you're, but everyone's gonna be judging me and have their own opinions. And that really bothered me at the time. It, not so much anymore. I'm kind of growing a thicker skin, but some things still hurt, but um, that's, that's how the, the film got started. And then, you know, there's probably different ways children react to all this, but like one may be, well, mom, why would you give me up? And, and, the, and yet that wasn't the case with your son, was it? He, he was thankful that uh, he was given a chance at life. Yes. And when we, when we first met, and the documentary is not scripted at all, what you see is real time. And I lived on Parker Avenue. And the number one thing that I remember telling Philip, the producer and um, Ben, as I said, I, I, don't want, I don't want to be told what to do, what to say, how to act. I said, it has to be real because people will know and people will feel it. And I want people to feel what I'm feeling if I'm going to do this. And that was one of the, the big stipulations. So whenever we met, David said, because I, 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 I bluntly said are you mad at me and he said no not at all he said I just want to say thank you and he told me that he had a good life and I, I was able to say I know because I, I obviously could see him and I could, I could tell what kind of life that he had had and it was it was a really beautiful moment that that had to really melt your heart I would think it did it emotionally it was draining draining sure. but it was beautiful very beautiful and as a result of all of these experiences over these 18, 19, 20 years, uh, where does that take you to now? Um, aren't you trying to be a resource to other young girls or to help them become aware of what's out there? I am. Um, you know, I don't have a fancy degree. I, I'm not a fancy person. I'm very country girl, plain Jane, very simple. And I had asked God, and everything happens to me in the bathtub, which I know is really weird, but people say that they have things happen to them here or there or there, and it's always in the strangest places. But my husband says probably because that's when I'm the most relaxed. And I, I, was, I was laying back and I have a lot of autoimmune problems and stuff. So the jets were just working my muscles and I'm sitting there by myself and I'm just kind of praying. And, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there a little bit in age. I said, I'm not able to do a lot of the things that I once were, you know, was able to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life at this point. I want to be a writer. I'm working on two books, by the way. Um, but um, I wanted to be a writer. And I thought that's my calling. And I always had this calling to help the homeless. And I thought maybe that's, maybe that's where this has taken me. And one of my good friends in the pro-life movement, she goes, but you are helping the homeless. You're just doing it in a different way. 
Well, I thought was this was going to be a one-time thing. And after I had a certain event, I had someone come up to me, a young girl, and she said that she was contemplating abortion or parenting. Well, there's a big difference. So, and I, and I, and I basically said, you go into that abortion center, a hundred percent possibility, only one of you comes back out. And so I tell her about the 10 fingers and 10 toes. And I just, you know, I went to the side and I probably spent, I want to guess maybe an hour with her after this event. And she ended up, we're still in contact today. Mm. And I attended, the baby is now two. I attended the first birthday, me and my husband, Sean, we attended her, the baby's first birthday, took her some gifts. And she's actually right up there. Can you see where she's at? Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. I there got we go. I, we saw, I saw a glimpse there. Yeah, got a pacifier yeah. in the mouth. So uh, she, uh, I thought that was going to be a one-time thing. And I've been speaking now for going on about almost two and a half years. And right now I'm at baby number 10, saved from abortion. And 11 families guided to resources to help them parent so that they don't lose their children or give their children up. For instance, there was one lady that was going to give her child out over and she said she couldn't afford formula. She couldn't afford this. And I said, but wait a minute. I said, there's a way to help you with that. I said, will, will you work with me on this? And she kind of, well, all right, we'll see basically. Well, I got her connected with a pregnancy resource center and babies thriving. They're both, they're, the family unit's doing really well. And so I talked to my husband and I said, I felt like God is telling me that I need to open a resource center. I'm not a therapist and I don't really want to do the pregnancy center part, but I want to get people to where they need to go that way. Cause they, they, I've, I'm always told that they feel like they can relate to me. So if I can get my hands on them and love them and let them know that, Hey, you know, you, we've got maternal homes, we've got pregnancy centers and you name it, whatever you need, we will get it for you. We will help you get it. Um, it's been amazing. And I've got a company name, but I don't, I'm right, right to the point where I'm getting ready to file my 501c3. So um, we're making progress okay, there. Sure. You know, that's one of the complaints from the other side is they say, well, you all are so pro-life, but you don't help the mother raise the child at all or help her in, in the struggles after the birth. And, and, I'm, and I know that's not the case. No, they'll help clear up to the baby is five. Five years old, that's five years. And it's not just the woman. It's not just the baby. It's not just the man. It's a family unit. And so my slogan for the nonprofit is going to be moving families forward with compassion because it's a family unit. Because I've had men come up to me and say, my wife or my daughter, my sister, whomever. He said, I would have raised that child. I didn't get that opportunity. And I've got a friend that's lost two babies to abortion. He had no stay. And right. he, he now has a nonprofit. And he is a voice. He tries to be a voice for the men to say, hey, what can we do to help give a voice to the man as well? Because it is indeed a family unit. We don't want to focus only on the baby, only on the woman, but we want to focus on the family. What can we do to help the family? Right. 
I think that needs to be emphasized. Now, how can people get a hold of you, Melissa, if your nonprofit's not quite set up yet? But uh, is it? Uh, you email? can, yeah, you can reach me. I, I apologize for that. You can reach me at Ambassador Speakers Bureau, and you can just type it in anywhere you have internet, and it will take you to my agent there. And you can contact me by email, my cell phone. I, if I don't answer, I will always get straight back to you until this gets open. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the website for them, ambassador speakers, plural, ambassadorspeakers.com? Yes, and they sir. can type your name, Melissa Coles, C-O-L-E-S, in and, and get you that way. And, yes, uh, and you're just really helping them through the times like you had 20 years that. ago. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful ending. And uh, you, you chose life. And I think of uh, Deuteronomy. You know, I set before you life and death, and God said, choose life. And uh, it's a beautiful story. Thank you. Melissa, I just want to thank you so much for being on uh, Mercy Unbound today, a, a series that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and uh, one that will help you understand the mercy of God. And you're a great example. Behind me is the image of the merciful Jesus. And... Um, we just have to turn to him in times of difficulty. And you realize that now. And uh, yes. he's, he's, he was there the whole time. The whole time. Saw it or not, you know, at the time. Yeah. I wasn't forgotten. I was hidden until his release, not mine. Right, right. Well, thank you again. And uh, to all those viewing this show, again, I encourage you to go to ambassadorspeakers.com. Look up Melissa. She'd be a wonderful speaker at your conference. And for women who find themselves in the same situation as Melissa, know that they're plenty of resources out there you just have to do a little homework but you can always reach melissa and she'll be more than happy yes. to help you uh, choose life and, yes. uh, so god bless you melissa keep up the great work and uh, hope to talk to you soon thank you thank you for having me have a good day